seated. If you ask people if they're going to heaven on the street, a recent Barnes survey says that 81% of Americans believe in an afterlife of some sort, and in the United States, 64% believe that if they die, they will go to heaven. 64%. But if you ask that same 81% or 64% on what basis will you get to heaven? What's the reason? Or if you say something like this, if, if you die right now and, and you show up at the pearly gates and Peter asks you, why should I let you into God's heaven? Most people in this country, most people in every other country you can think of in this world will say, well, let me tell you why. I have done this. I have done that. I have overcome my drinking. I have overcome my laziness. I have been a good patriot. I am growing. I am a good person. I am sincere in what I believe. I, 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 I. Nothing has changed. Because this is exactly how they responded in Jesus' day as well. In fact, this is really the heart of the problem of the leaders of Israel. The Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, these Pharisees and scribes, these lawyers of the law, were the best of the best. They were squeaky clean. They were moral people. They were the spiritual leaders. They were good people. But because they were externally better than, than all those people around them, especially you know the outcast, scumbag tax collectors and the prostitutes and the disgusting Gentiles, because they were better, they, they felt that they were just fine. And that's the issue of our passage today. The issue is this. It's the issue of, of a religion of trying hard and a religion of Holy Spirit transformation. It's trying hard versus transformation in our passage today. I want you to see it. And let's study it together. Luke chapter 11. Take your Bibles and turn to that place. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, the third gospel. Luke chapter 11. We'll pick it up in verse 14. As you're turning to that place, remember the context here is Jesus has just cast out a demon and a man is healed. His muteness is gone. He praises God. And the, the people, the crowd is amazed and they marvel. Some are skeptical and they're asking for a sign, another sign, and Jesus will deal with that next week in our passage. 
But he's particularly dealing that with in our context about those people who say, yep, I can't argue with that miracle. It happened. The demon's gone. But I'll tell you who you did it by. The prince of demons, the lord of the flies, Beelzebul, you're empowered by the devil himself. And Jesus very patiently and humbly answers that in this passage. And you'll need that background to figure out our passage today, which will be verses 24 through 28. So listen carefully, don't check out, the context is huge to understand this. And so we pick it up in verse 14 of Luke chapter 11. The text says, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. And of course, Jesus is going to answer right now those who said, you cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, a name for Satan himself. And Jesus simply says, if I work by the devil, for two and a half years I've been blowing out disease and the darkness, restoring people into their right mind and creating missionaries, people who love God from the heart for two and a half years, eradicating disease and darkness from Palestine. I've been assaulting the kingdom of darkness for two years, he says. If I've been doing that, let's, let's use some reason. There's no way that, that I could assault the kingdom of darkness for two years and do the exact opposite of, of, of the goal of the mission of darkness and be empowered by darkness. You're just not thinking. That's what he says. Look at it. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, verse 17, if any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a house divided against itself falls, if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And then Jesus goes on and he pours it on. He says, you're not, you're denying reason, but you're also denying the the evidence that's out there. Because he says in verse 19, and if by Beelzebul I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. And so Jesus is simply saying, and this is so important for verse 24 in our passage today. Jesus, let me, let me get this straight. Your sons, these Jewish exorcists that are going around with their gyrations and their, their, their crazy talk and all the show and can't get the job done to actually cast out demons properly, haphazard, slow, it's not working for them. Are you telling me that your sons are empowered by God and I'm empowered by the devil? And, I, and for two and a half years, I speak the word and it's done perfectly and holy. Are you telling me that the devil is more powerful than God? You're denying the evidence. You're denying the reality of my ministry. And he says, if, if those aren't the case, and you should probably use your logic here, he says, then here's what's happened. Verse 20, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let me tell you a story, Jesus says. And he tells a parable. 
And this parable is extremely important for our passage in verse 24. Verse 21, he tells a little story to these blasphemers. Very patiently. When a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and he distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And so Jesus is saying, you, best of the best, people who think they have it all together, you leaders that are trying to pin this on me, saying I work by the devil, but you're really doing that not out of reason or logic because you're in bondage to the devil himself and you're jealous and you, and you want money and it's coming from your evil heart. And he says you're under the bondage of a strong man. You are his plunder and you are just fine. You are all settled. Though the plunder of the devil and of darkness is undisturbed doesn't want to be disturbed by this stuff, doesn't want to be called out of their stupor and their self-righteousness. But when the strong, one stronger than he comes, he'll pull them out of that kingdom and you'll pull them into the other king. I am that strong man. The kingdom has come. The king is here. And if you are not with me, you're against me. No neutrality. No vacuum. No neutrality. You're either with me and gathering with me or you are scattering from the truth. Let me tell you another story. And we come to our text in verse 24. Are you with me in the context? You've got to have that context. So look at our passage in 24 through 28 and let this sink in in light of what we have just said. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, He's still talking about demonic possession. Did you notice that? When when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Keep reading because 27 and 28 go with this. While Jesus was saying these things, that's why it goes with this. While Jesus was saying these exact things, One of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Stark contrast in our passage this morning. Verses 24 through 26 is an admittedly difficult illustration that speaks of, a, speaks of the bankruptcy of moral reformation. Whereas, verses 27 and 28 consider the blessed state, the happy state of Holy Spirit transformation. 
It's a stark and powerful passage of Scripture. Please listen to the Word of God today. So we're going to look at this contrast then under two headings. You guessed it. Number one, Reformation. Detailing the house. Detailing the house. If you don't like the word detailing, because I, I changed it, I think cleaning the house is easier. Cleaning the house makes more sense. Let's go with cleaning the house instead of detailing the house. Verses 24 through 26. Here we go. Put on your thinking caps. It's a tough passage, but it's wonderful when we get some understanding of this passage. So, Luke chapter 11, verse 24. Let's read it again. Reformation, cleaning the house. Here it is. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. Let's stop there. This is a disturbing passage. I apologize. It's the Word of God. I just, I'm the mailman. I... What Jesus is saying here, he's still speaking about exorcism in this context, and he's still kind of comparing himself to these Jewish exorcists who can't get the job done. And that's in the underlying context here. And so for whatever reason, a person, maybe he's a victim of one of these halfway Jewish exorcisms, Maybe the demon just was bored and decided to go out on his own accord. We don't know, but one thing we do know is that the text says that the demon goes out of the man. The demon is not, and it doesn't use any of the words of Jesus casting the demon out of the man. It's the, the demon who's doing it. Does that make sense? Whether through the sham Jewish exorcist, it's not Jesus' work here. In 24 through 26, the demon just goes out. And what the demon does, as the text says, is passes through waterless places seeking rest. It's just an illustration that it's not a common, you know, demonic forces like to involve um, hosts and people. And they like to, you know, do something with their lives for the darkness. And so it's just that uh, it's not like this demon and truly has a body and is thirsty out in the desert. It's a metaphor. And MacArthur rightly concludes, quotes, demons do their diabolical work in this world through people. And not to have a person to work through is equivalent for a demon of being in a barren situation. End quotes. It's almost like, here's this demon seeking a place to rest. You know, I had it pretty good before. I'm going back to this man. I'm going back in to my house. Notice he does say, my house. Did you see that? It's interesting. I will return to my house. 
Jesus has just mentioned a divided house. Jesus has just mentioned a strong man guarding his house. He's still on the theme of house. So, I'm going back to my house. And in going back, I don't know if this man had whipped up a little strength so it was a little harder to get the job done and get back in and get going. I don't know. But he takes in seven more. And the text is clear. He takes in along seven other spirits, verse 26, more evil than itself. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Eight demons. Now, what happens next? Verse 25. Now, this is the most important verse. I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, the demon comes back, it finds it swept and put in order. Something's been fixed there, it would seem, in the house. The house is swept and put in order. We just did that yesterday. Cleaned house. Demon left. Guy cleaned his own house. Demon tries to come back in, says, hmm, getting a little more firepower here. Brings seven more, more evil. Goes into that man. And the last state of him is worse than the first. If you don't do expository preaching, you don't deal with this passage. What's going on here? This man, when the demon left, cleaned himself up. He cleaned himself up. Moral reformation. He swept and put his life in order. He got himself organized. He's going places. He's worked diligently to sweep out stuff that's holding him back from his dreams. He attends the feasts. Because Jesus is at least talking about the Pharisees here. He knows the scrolls. He keeps the law. This man has reformed his life. This is moral reformation. He's a good man. He's relieved. The first demon messed his life up a bit. He's got himself good and fixed. But, verse 26, then it goes, says, I need more. It takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they go in and live there. Housing terminology, abode, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. These nasty demons come in. They dwell in this house. All of that hard work of morally reforming himself, sweeping up, putting his life in order, it doesn't last. It doesn't protect. It doesn't work. And this man is in worse danger of eternal destruction than ever before. 
moral reformation, and other, others, including MacArthur, have seen the same thing, but so put on your seatbelt. It's not just me. Moral reformation without Jesus is a more dangerous state than outright rebellion. Let that sink in. Moral reformation without Jesus is a more dangerous state spiritually than outright rebellion. Now, I'll admit it, if you will, moral reformation is kind of nice. It's clean. It's planned out. It's moving. Uh, It's orderly. And I appreciate it, frankly, especially at my other job, when I'm around you and you're cleaning yourself up and grabbing yourself by your bootstraps and, you know, kind of morally reformed. It makes my life easier. So there is a sense in which I don't mind moral reformation when I see it in the world. This is easier. When your mechanic is morally reformed, right? But cleaning yourself up and grabbing yourself by your moral bootstraps, trying to figure your own life out, becoming a good person, becoming a good money maker, learning to get up in the morning, being a good citizen, growing up, cleaning up, all of this without Jesus Christ puts you in a way more dangerous situation than you ever were in when you were an outright mess. Did you hear that? More dangerous. They're worse state than before. At least, if you're broken and hurting and sinful, you could be awakened to this fact. Dealt with that in Vienna all the time. Got my job, I got my car. I'm fine. Doubly damned. This text says. The danger of moral reformation. It's short-lived. The benefit of moral reformation is short-lived. It doesn't have everlasting value. You're going to be dominated by a worse world domination, flesh domination, and satanic evil domination than ever before. You're going to be worse off. You can't clean yourself up. You can't reform yourself. You're the possession of the strong man. He's got full armor. And moral reformation is the state, in verse 21, of being undisturbed. I'm okay. Look at my life. Undisturbed. You don't need reformation. If you're here today, and this is for all of us, you don't need reformation. You only need, you need outright rescue. You need redemption. You need regeneration. Cleaning yourself up by moral effort doesn't rid yourself of evil. Effort and determination without Jesus that even leads to some outward reform will ultimately make you worse off spiritually because you become at peace. Your possessions are undisturbed. I'm just fine. I don't need Jesus. I don't need anybody. Don't you see my bank account? Don't you see my 401k? Don't you see how I've worked on my marriage? Don't you see that the car that I drive? And Jesus says that man becomes worse than the first state. Really religious, just like the Pharisees. The best of the best. 
You can even call it sin. You can even say you love Jesus. You can fight sin, but it's all about you. It's about your effort. It's about comparing yourself to others. So that you say, I'm doing well as a Christian. The problem is, and this is what Jesus is getting at here, Jesus wants your heart. He wants you. The finger of God, the power of God must make us new creations in Christ Jesus. We must be possessed not by our moral energy, but we must be possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. We can't be empty. There's no vacuum. There's no neutrality. It's one or the other. Either darkness will control you or the Spirit of Christ will control you. Jesus must dwell within your heart through the Spirit. We don't need religion. We need relationship. We don't need sweeping. We need the Spirit. We don't need moral tenacity. And that could be, I'm going to explain that. We don't need moral tenacity. We need heart transformation. We don't need fleshly reformation. We need a Holy Spirit revolution in our life from the inside out. The question is, what does this look like? And here's the hard answer. Externally, oftentimes it looks very similarly. Are you with me? It's confusing. Because, I don't know about you, but being transformed more and more to the image of Christ means that I am becoming more like Him and I'm being transformed more holy. And so guess what I'm doing? I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all those things that the moral reformers are doing. I mean, it's confusing. You with me? It's confusing. It can look the same. So Jesus helps us in the next section. We've seen that moral reformation is cleaning up your own house, but now let's look by way of comparison at transformation. You could say doing the word, but maybe keeping the word. Cleaning the house and keeping the word might be a little bit easier to understand. Let's read it. So Jesus goes on, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. <laughs> but he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Now stop there. Cleaning and sweeping your own house apart from the Spirit and without Christ. But don't think, Yes, free grace. This is great. I can have fire insurance and just be, live like the devil. Really, look at the next passage. He said, no, 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 let me tell you. Blessed are you when you hear the word of God and keep it. Observe it. What's going on here? The key is Mary. What? Mary? Jesus is saying these things. One of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Who is that? Mary. Good. And the breast at which you nursed. But he said on the contrary, Blessed 
are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So Jesus is not rebuking this woman in, in the crowd. I mean, you know, Mary was chosen by God and there is a sense of, which is good to, you know, she was a blessed woman. But I think, I think the church and the billions of people on this earth and, and, you know, not imputing sin to her and imputing her the characteristics of a co-mediatrix with Christ are not really, ga- you know, grappling the main point about Mary here and what makes her blessed. If anything, it's undermining that view here. But, I mean, Right? But I'll say she is blessed. But why? But why? It's ironic to me. Why? Watch this. This will unpack this, I hope. (laughs) Her name was Mary. It's a pretty amazing guy here that's doing this and speaking like this. How blessed was your mother to have a child like you? Well, yeah. And Jesus in verse 28 isn't rebuking the woman. What a, she is blessed to be chosen of God in that role of redemptive history. But Jesus says, hold on, on the contrary. You know who the real blessed ones are? The real happy ones? Ah, the real blessed ones are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So why was Mary blessed? Let's find out by turning back to the passage that Brian, Deacon Brian read. Turn back to Luke chapter 1 verse 39. Now let's find out why Mary was blessed. The text says because We hear the word of God and observe it. Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, here it is again, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who what? In verse 45. Do you see it? Are you there? Blessed is she who what? Believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. The Lord spoke. This is what's going to happen to you. It's incredible. Hard to believe. Mary believed it. This flowed from faith in the Word of God. She listened to the Word of God, and now she's doing something about it, going to Bethlehem and stuff like that, running to the right places. She is moving on the promises of God through faith. That is why she is blessed, and that's exactly what Jesus picks up on in our passage, but there's more. Look at the heart of Mary. Here's why she's blessed. Look at this. Look, let's keep reading. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul, my soul exalts the Lord, 
And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my what? Savior from sin. My Savior. For He has regard for the humble state of His bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Oh, why Mary? Why will we call you blessed? For reason. Next word. Reason that she's blessed. For the mighty one, the strong man, the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy. I need mercy. We need mercy. And His mercy is upon generation after generation to those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. His strong arm, right? He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were what? Proud in the thoughts of their heart. The Pharisees, those who swept their own house and didn't need God. Self-righteous, proud people. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. And He has exalted those who were what? Verse 52, humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help. I need help. To Israel His servant in remembrance of His mercy. Look at, look at verse 55. It forms an, what's called an inclusio. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. In other words, He spoke it. I believe it. I'm acting on it. And that is why Mary is blessed. Now, let's put this together. Go back to chapter 11. Blessed is Mary because like she believed the Word of God from her soul. She loved the Lord. She exalted the Lord. She rejoiced in the Lord. She knew she needed a Savior from her own sin. She recognized that the finger of God had redeemed her. She was humble and broken. But she was rescued. And she knew it. And so she rejoiced because the one stronger than the strong man, the mighty one in verse 49, He has worked and He is holy and He has shown me mercy and He has given me a heart to fear Him and He has done mighty deeds and He has brought down the proud and those who have cleaned themselves up and think they are okay without God. But God blessed Mary because she was humble of heart, spiritually hungry, and God filled her and redeemed her. God had spoken to her through the Word of God of the fathers in the Old Testament scrolls, and Mary had heard and observed the Word of God, and so she was blessed. And that, Mary, was much different than the man who cleaned himself up, says Jesus. Moral reformation without a changed heart is a dangerous state that will lead to eternal misery. But forever happiness, and that's happiness is a great translation of the word blessed there. Forever happiness starts with humility like Mary. 
brokenness due to sin, helplessness and dependence upon God. Oh, God, I need you. So that the finger of God would move and grant what you cannot grant, a brand new heart that loves God and that trusts Him at His word. And this leads to not moral reformation, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. This leads to what? Holy Spirit transformation. From the inside out. This looks like Mary, the other Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to His Word. This looks like the disciples. This looks like the man banging on the door at midnight. I need help! Father! This whole thing, it comes down to your heart. Why do you do what you do? Who do you love? Hard work without Jesus is going to leave you in a worse state. True happiness is when you're released from working for your salvation and you find rest in the finished work of Christ. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes didn't have. They did not love God. They weren't humble and needy sinners. They didn't need Jesus. In fact, Jesus is possessed by the devil. How's that for not needing Jesus? They depended upon their performance. They were better than the next guy, and God would weigh out the scales. And Jesus says you're in a dangerous position, trying to do it on your own. So think about you. Do you think you're going to heaven because you've been a pretty good person over the years and Jesus has helped you change? And I did this and I went to church and my mom played the piano and I've attended mass and I've been baptized and I'm a member of Grace Community Bible Church. I, 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 I. Or are you depending, resting, in Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that the Lord would use this passage that you would put off that self-righteousness trying to clean yourself up but you just see your need for Christ. And you don't need to do anything. You need to stop doing. And you need to say, Jesus, I need help. I need you to save me. I need a new heart. I need your righteousness. Mine is pathetic. I need your forgiveness. I need you. If you would come to Jesus today with that heart, the heart of Mary, oh, and those of you who are with me, it's the most happy state there is now and forever. Amen? Jesus said, and he's not going, he's not, he's so gentle, 
and he wants you to come to me, he says in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Not who've swept their own house out, but realize they can't do it and they're weary and heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Sit at my feet. Listen to my word. Walk in the good way, the ancient paths, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the place of rest. This is the place of happiness. This is what it means to be with Jesus in the context. This is what it means to be gathered with Him, not scattering away from Him. Make no mistake about it. Externally, the gatherers and the scatterers are both looking kind of like they're transforming and maybe changing. The issue will come down to the heart. There's one option that you cannot do. You cannot wait. You cannot be neutral in this. You can't. You've got. I was 27. I wish I was younger. You've got to come to Christ. There is no neutrality. I do musculoskeletal radiology a couple hours a week. It's interesting how x-rays are formed. They're formed in a tube when electrons are slowed down or stopped by rotating tungsten. They release 99% heat, 1% ionizing radiation called x-ray. Electrons have to be slowed down and stopped in a vacuum. A vacuum is like, it's crazy. If you think of it, there's, no, there's not even air in a vacuum. There's, abs, there's literally nothing in a vacuum. Listen. You're like an x-ray tube. You think that you're a vacuum and you're neutral. You're not. You will either be controlled by the darkness or you'll be controlled by the light. That's it. There is no vacuum. There is no neutrality. Believer, listen to me. We need to hear this call against moral reformation just as much. This is what I mean. Are you trying to clean yourself up? Yes, He's forgiven me of my sin. He's got me up to zero. He's taken all my sin. But I, I got to clean myself up. I want Pastor Jeff to think that I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I want to, this person's looking at me and we're posturing and we're manipulating and we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten half the gospel. Forgiveness from sins is half the gospel. It's half of it. Because Jesus demands to be in glory forever into this blessed state. He demands that you be what? Perfect. How you doing? Therefore, we need the full gospel, which is this. The great exchange. All of our sins, past, present, and future, put upon Jesus. And He removed them by His death, burial, and resurrection. He proved through His resurrection that our sins were gone. But He's alive and He is powerful and He gives away His own righteousness. His own record of perfection. In keeping the law 
uh, of not doing bad things, of doing all the right things from the inside to out. He did it perfectly in your place. You can't offer him yours in combination with his. You, it's got to be all Christ. All of him. The full gospel is this. All of your sins go to him and he gives you his perfect righteousness. And so when someone says, why is St. Peter going to let you in? Well, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's right. But then you were trying to morally reform yourself to please your parents, to please your pastor, to please your Jesus. And it's a false gospel if we're resting in that. Listen to me. You need the righteousness of Christ. This is by... Why should, why should I let you into heaven? You know what? You shouldn't. I'm a sinner. There's nothing that I bring to the table. You know what I... But you know what? I'm united to Jesus. The moment I believed in Him, He took all my sins, but He gave me His perfection. It's because of Him and Him alone. Nothing in my hand do I bring. Simply to the cross I crave. Naked come to Thee for dress. And I found in Christ the dress, the robes of His perfect righteousness. Peter, that's why. That's what Jesus is driving at here. And out of this place, out of this place, listen, out of this place of sins gone and righteousness clothed, adopted into the family, out of this place, the place that Mary was in, of being forgiven and righteous, calling God Father, still always desperate for Him, from this place, settled faith in the promises of the scrolls. But we have the whole book, both Old and New Testament. Faith in the promises of this word. Listening to it and observing it. This is the place of Holy Spirit transformation from glory to glory. Those who are ones listening to the word. Those are ones keeping the word by the power of the Spirit of God. This is the place of happiness. This is what it looks like when the finger of God is moving upon you. This is what it looks like to be gathered to Christ. And this is the blessed state of Mary. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it.